0: Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman, and today I'm excited to have somebody on the show whose path I've been following for a while and who's had a pretty big 2019. Toby is a singer songwriter from Brampton, Ontario, and born in Lagos, Nigeria. He can count Snoop Dogg, Jamie Foxx, and Evander Holyfield among his fans. He's just come out with his first full-length project under Same Plate Entertainment in Sony Music. It's called Still. And what's wild about this for me is I kind of saw this coming. I'm joking, but way back in the day, I did cross paths with Toby. I was writing for the Come Up Show, a music blog at the time, and I'd pitched this idea for a weekly column where we would profile rising artists. This was 2013, and the artist I picked to start that column with was Toby. Uh, He went by a different name then, and if you count the blog days, I kind of did too. But nonetheless, it has been really cool to see how things have progressed for him. But enough about me. Toby's been getting a lot of attention these days, and he's proven to be quite an interesting guy as well. We talk about everything from mental health and what it was like for him working on a crisis line to this progress of music that he's made and how things have unfolded for him over these last four months and beyond. Here's his story. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy to think of this, Toby, and I, and I think it's a testament to the fact that there is no such thing as an overnight success, but I was looking back at the first time that I heard of you and heard of your music, and actually the first time we spoke, and that was... 2013, six years ago, wow, had a feature on the come-up show. What was what was your mind state as an artist then?
1: Wow, uh, okay, <laughs> I didn't even know that we had uh, <laughs> this exchange that far back. That's actually wild. It's kind of crazy, um, yeah. Yeah, man, 2013. Whoa, that was a very trying period. There's a lot of. There's just a lot of limbo. You know, I had no sense of direction. I had no real sense of what was going on in my life.
0: Mm. Yeah. So you were at I'm guessing Laurier at the time, kind of maybe partway through uh, a degree at Laurier. Is that is that about right?
1: Yeah, that's literally the halfway point in my degree.
0: So you're halfway through school and you're trying to figure out what's going to happen when I'm done this. Exactly. And so you were at Laurier, you were studying biology and psychology
1: yes i was w- what was the the plan with those two uh the plan was either go to med school or get my master's in neuroscience or psychology something you know get or get some sort of terminal degree afterwards so yeah it was definitely further education
0: but all this time you were still making music and that's that's where the conflict comes in exactly what was the first thing that you remember writing? If that was a story or a poem or a song, and, and at what time and place was this?
1: Um, first thing I remember writing was probably when I was about eight years old. Uh-huh. Um, I just used to write everything I'd write stories, you know, fictional tales, songs, poems. The first thing I really don't remember. It, it was probably like a journal entry before I knew what a journal entry was, you know.
0: Right. You had a you had some kind of a a book that you kept these things in, or was it just kind of loose leaf scraps of paper here and there that you were writing on?
1: Yeah, my mom gave me a book. She gave me a a notepad before I left Nigeria, so I had that with me, and yeah. I would just write everything in there.
0: Do you think you still have that, or has that disappeared somewhere?
1: Man, it's probably disappeared, but I wish I have it. I know it's somewhere in my parents' house. I know it's somewhere there, but it's it's buried underneath a mountain of stuff.
0: Yeah, it's in a closet somewhere. It's in some uh, Tupperware container filled with a whole bunch of other stuff, probably. Facts. Going farther back yet, if I've got my history correct, what significance does the song X Gonna Give It To You have to you?
1: Oh, man, that song is powerful man um that's probably one of the first hip-hop songs that i first heard yeah
0: where would you have come across this like is it are you hearing it on the radio is it a music video uh is it somebody showing it to you
1: um it was definitely my older cousin when i was in nigeria i think i was like six years old or something like that when i first heard it six or seven and i was just like man what's going on here this is amazing (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I just remember I was so fascinated with uh, DMX.
0: Mm. So your older cousin was the the connect for you, the uh, the introducer to hip hop and and all that that was.
1: At least for DMX. Okay. At least for DMX.
0: But he was the older one who uh, who had already had kind of an education of sorts, who uh, had maybe the CDs or knew what what to put you onto.
1: Absolute, absolute. And I also there was this like school play. Parade thing that I did around that same time where I was Lil Romeo, so that 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 put me on uh, to hip hop for real as well. Yeah, so, so
0: I've I've read about that. I I try to place what kind of a school play has Lil Romeo as one of its cast members. Like, what was the what was the plot of the play where Lil Romeo was a character?
1: Um, there was no real plot, man. If my <laughs> memory serves me correct. I was just supposed to be this child rapper like picking up girls. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't think it was well thought out. It was just like a, hey, we have time to do something with these kids. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, okay. And this was this was uh in school, a school like a school related
1: play or or what? Yeah, this was in Nigeria. The memory's a bit fuzzy, of course, because it was almost 20 years ago but uh for sure yeah you know I just I just remember playing this role of a young of a young rapper I had the whole attire down and everything the, <laughs> the do-rag and the oversized t-shirts it was cool
0: what was so you were in Lagos Nigeria what was life in Lagos like I mean it's a that's a massive city to come from uh, it's quite a big difference I mean Toronto is a massive city but Lagos is even bigger
1: yeah I mean less. Talk about population density, you know, it's um, 20 million people in Lagos. Um, There's just people everywhere. Mm. Yeah, I just remember it being a stressful place, you know. There's just a lot going on. It was always busy.
0: And you were in a, like, what was kind of your neighborhood feel like, if you will?
1: My neighborhood was more suburban. So uh, there was houses and crescents, Yeah. you know. It was like, um, everybody had a residential unit, so it wasn't that it wasn't that wild in my i guess suburban area, but as soon as you step out, it's over <laughs> mm. it's just people, it's just people like a lot man
0: yeah are you and are you walking or taking the bus to school how are you how are you getting around uh as a you know at seven six seven eight year old
1: um I actually used to get a ride um i used to get a ride with my uh with my cousin they had a driver uh they were a bit more well off so they had a personal driver yeah but sometimes i would take like a motorcycle home like ride on the back of the motorcycle that's a thing so <laughs> so
0: from people that you knew or just uh people who are motorcycle drivers that, and this is a thing that they do is they they give people rides places
1: yeah, exactly. It's like it's like a it's like a cab,
0: okay. Essentially, yeah. you
1: know, but it's a motorcycle.
0: Yeah, Okay. Yeah, we
1: call it alcada. Yeah, and you just ride on the back.
0: Nine years old is when you came to Canada. I mean, that's got to be a a big adjustment for a kid to make. Not only moving cities, uh, or moving you know provinces, <clears throat> or moving regions, but moving across you know an ocean, literally to another continent and uh, a different culture. I mean, what what was that? adjustment like i'm sure there's a lot involved in that but uh the things that you remember most notably
1: definitely the first thing was temperature (laughs) of course as soon as i got off the plane i was like whoa what are we doing um it was snowing we landed on march 1st yeah so and this is ottawa yeah um so temperature difference right off the bat previously unseen unheard of um cultural differences you know the language body language the the little social nuances i didn't understand any of that you know mm-hmm. i would argue like till this day <laughs> i'm still like sometimes I, I i i grapple with certain things i'm like yeah. what what does that really
0: mean <laughs> so it's interesting and what what was your prior knowledge of like Canada? What what did you know about it before you came?
1: To be honest with you, I didn't know much about it. Yeah. I, you know, everything we learn about Western world is through the media. Yeah. Um so the movies and whatnot and you know, I didn't know I just assumed Canada was like the states. That was my frame of reference. Right. right. Um so, from the movies, you know, Commando, Baby's Day Out, stuff like that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally like a whole bunch of ideas in my head that I had to either reconcile as being truth or seeing where the differences were at, you know, trying to make that out. So, mm. it was interesting. It was interesting process.
0: Right. So you come to Canada, o- Ottawa first and and then Toronto later and Brampton, I suppose, and trying to find trying to find some sort of belonging, right? I think that's always what we're after is belonging and finding that difficulty of not knowing the body language or or how to communicate just right. I mean, expressions that might be different from country to country or the the other things. Exactly. What was that intervening time period like? Those those ongoing years as you're you're now in Canada you've been here for you know a few years and you're still kind of adjusting and finding a place
1: I think it was it was very trying um, because I didn't have my strongest social support system which was my mom you know she came later on mm. but on um, the first year and a bit was very difficult I didn't want to be here so I spent a lot of time to myself writing at the time I didn't know but it was me coping, self-soothing, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah. And then when they came, it was like the greatest feeling having my whole family here with me. And we just had to start making our way through the system and figuring it out for ourselves. You know, remembering the mission, why we came in the first place. What
0: was sort of the sequencing of who arrived first? You arrived first and and then some of your family members came after exactly how like what was the kind of the the weight between you and, and everybody being reunited once again
1: i came here with my dad first
0: mm-hmm. um
1: my dad was already a citizen my mom was not okay, um because yeah. my dad went to school here he did his undergrad in montreal mm-hmm. so he brought me and i think that might have been the best move because you know i'm a kind of I guess low maintenance child. <laughs> um, so I I think that's what it was. And he was working so much; he had like two jobs. So I I rarely saw him for that first year. But um, I just I just kept occupied doing other stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then we just worked. He worked on getting my mom over here.
0: Mm-hmm. How was it making friends in those early years?
1: It was. It's, it's almost like i had no desire to do so, you know. Hmm. I left my best friend in Nigeria impromptu, you know. My mom did like a photo shoot with both of us the day before i left. Yeah. Um so i just had that photo with me. It was it was a struggle. It was a struggle making friends at first, but you know, when i um and also cuz i moved so much even after i got to Canada, so there was no real point yeah, but once we finally settled in the suburbs of Brampton, okay, then I started making friends.
0: Yeah, so you're again trying to find a place, right? It's I think it's this, these sort of two things at play when you move somewhere. There's there's the isolation of feeling like you don't belong, and then that search for belonging to be uprooted from one home and then come to a place where you don't maybe don't feel welcome or you're made to even feel unwelcome at times and to kind of search for something in the midst of that uh what what was that search for you
1: um the search for me was just like decent people you know mm. um i think coming from where i came from i was so like i was so used to things just not going the right way that like my expectations were really low you know so just people who just want the simple things in life you know nothing grandiose nothing too wild none of that excess stuff i just like humble chill people and that's what i sought after in my in my friendships
0: Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. how did the rest of your family take the move to canada like how how were they uh uh, adjusting and and getting used to uh to things.
1: Um I think they they took it well because we were all together as a as a unit so we all supported each other. Um but there were a lot of difficulties for my parents financially um leaving more established positions back home and doing more general labor, manual labor type stuff yeah. here. So it was it was especially difficult for them. They were working themselves to the bone. Right. My siblings, we kinda had each other's crutches, you know, so it was it was good. We also had a Nigerian community in the church that we could count on for support in certain aspects as well. So
0: And that's in that's in Brampton um, or that's in North York? This was or? in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, Toronto. Okay, yeah. So, so you you, you you're able to find a community there, and there's there's some some people where you feel like you can uh, rely upon, but also some people who kind of know where you're coming from, who who gets you. You know, there's a there's a shared understanding there. Exactly, exactly. Uh, You speak. I mean, you've always spoken English, but you also speak Yoruba or Yoruba. How how is that pronounced? Yeah, Yoruba. Yoruba, and. What's interesting to me about this, I mean, uh, I think uh, one of the effects of colonialism that I think I'm still waking up to is not just, you know, whatever happened during a fixed period of the past, but also how that continues to shape the way we think about ourselves. And I think language is inseparable from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how has your relationship to language changed over time?
1: Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> I love that question so much. Um you know, when I was in Nigeria, it's not uncommon to see people speak English in, as a form of exerting classism. Mm. You know, I think people, from my recollection, people used it as a weapon against uh, native Nigerians who did not speak English as well. Mm not just in the workforce, but just in daily interaction. And I think I internalized some of that. And I placed my understanding of the English language as a marker for my self-esteem. So if I didn't do well in an English assignment in Canada, that would, to me, that would symbolize a deficiency in my self-esteem. Right my understanding of the English language was correlated with how I felt about myself. And I think that's part of the colonialism project, like you previously mentioned. Right. So, right. you know, I I made it a a point to read as much as possible. And I was instructed to read as much as possible because of that. Hmm. And, you know, for better or for worse, I mean... I love reading, you know, It's I, I think it's a integral part of my life now, which is the positive. But the negative was the purpose, the why behind why I was reading so much. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but it's one of those things where you just I just learned it now that at some point it, it dawned on me that you know, your proficiency in uh in a language does not determine how it doesn't determine your being, you know, it's just a, it's just a part of, it's just a skill, <laughs> mm. you know?
0: On the flip side of that, to now be relearning or maybe reconnecting with more of, uh, your, buds, uh, to be able to practice that language, to teach yourself how to speak it again. I mean, what, what is that like to you to be able to maybe reclaim some things that you weren't putting as much of a priority on before?
1: Uh, it was frustrating at first because it's, cause it's like, Whoa! I actually don't know how to speak this anymore. <laughs> um, so that was a that was a bit of a struggle, but I, it's been a it's been a, a wonderful healing journey. Actually, now, relearning the language and relearning the parables and the proverbs in my language, and the richness of the language as well. It's um, it's powerful. It's mm. it's powerful.
0: Tell me about the first song that you actually recorded, the first time that you, you know, whether it's in somebody's bedroom or basement or wherever, or maybe you've got a microphone and it's hooked up to a computer, uh, the first time that you put a song down in recorded form.
1: Okay, so this was my best friend, Jimmy, at the time we were recording on his Sony Ericsson. And uh, it was Fifty Cent. I get money. We recorded a freestyle to it.
2: Okay. Called
1: the team gets money. Yeah. And he was getting money for sure. (laughs) (laughs) He was getting money. So I remember it.
0: So this was probably two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. I'm guessing by by the kind of dating when that song would have come out, Uh, sometime around then.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You got it, man. Okay. Uh,
0: and and so you're going from there. I mean, there's uh, there's the putting the song out, and I'm sure there's a there's got to feel good to to have your your music you know in a recorded form, and you're probably playing it you know in your car with your friends. What about the first time that you perform for an audience of sorts, if uh, if it's a school assembly or if it's uh, somewhere that you're getting up on stage?
1: Yeah, first time was in the 10th grade in careers class. Sorry, not career, civics. Okay. We had this assignment where we had to create a presentation for a nonprofit organization. And I did one for Victim Services of Peel, but my presentation was a song. And that was the first time I pre- I've ever performed for a group of people, performed yeah. music for a group of people. Yeah, okay. Was that, yeah?
0: And I won. I won the whole. I won the whole thing. It was. It was lit. Oh, so it was a con. Oh, so this was. Um, this was the youth philanthropy initiatives. My guess. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh
1: man, your memory on YPI. Point. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: YPI.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah. you you won the contest, and then you probably got to go to another. Uh, assembly or performance of sorts in Toronto, where they had motivational speakers come out, and and it was like a half day or a full day event.
1: This guy knows. This guy <laughs> knows. I did all that. <laughs> this is bringing
0: bringing memories back for me too right now. Uh, yeah, okay, man. yeah. So yeah, grade ten, grade ten civics class, and you do a rap, and and that inspires you. Were you were you forthcoming and sharing what you were doing with your, your your you know your siblings and your parents, or were you keeping that close to the chest? Uh, for a long time
1: absolutely close to my chest
0: (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, yeah, close to my chest nobody knew a thing
0: friends as well or did you at least tell your friends what you were doing
1: um yeah i told my best friend um he knew because we were doing it together um but when when i was in school i just kept it between us but he was like man you got to show people you could do this you got to show so he he was always trying to push me to show the whole school, I was like, I was more of a shy guy, I wasn't down for all that, so, but,
0: word got out. So, he was your first uh, musical believer, if you will.
1: Yeah, he was an early champion, absolutely. Okay, where in all of this,
0: uh, do you start to take it seriously, to a degree, to start to think, you know, maybe, maybe this could be a career for me?
1: Um, I think the whole time it was like I knew my my, I knew my primary goal was to go to post-secondary school. Yeah. It's been instilled in me since I was a fetus. Right. So (laughs) it was like I was doing it behind my parents back. So I was like, nah, they're never going to let me do this. But I love it so much. So I'm going to do it. I literally did it like five hours of the day every day. Okay. After after school. But I do my homework first. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like do my homework first and then let's get to these bars.
0: (laughs) Okay. And that's and that's writing or is that studying other bars? Is it, you know, memorizing the notes of other artists and how they broke down their lines? What what does that involve?
1: Yeah, that's like just writing my own stuff. Um listening to a lot of music. And I used to be on this when Facebook came out, there was this group where writers would just go on and and text battle each yeah.
0: other. Yeah. okay.
1: And I loved that group. And yeah, I'd be on there every day getting my ass beat by some dude in South Africa <laughs> who just who just writes crazy lines. Um Yeah, I think that that group was pretty instrumental in my writing process.
0: So that was your, your training ground, if you will. You come home from school, you get the homework done, and then it's off to Facebook and uh and getting these bars up against yes. people from who knows where.
1: All over the world. Yeah. It was, it was wild. <laughs>
0: okay. So so you're you're doing this, but you know you're still gonna go to university and so the music thing is, you know, I love doing this, but, but you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm gonna go off and get a degree, and, and i you know, probably gonna go to med school or do a master's or do something else.
1: Exactly. At least for them.
0: So then, when does the wrestling start to come in to to decide about? Uh, well, maybe maybe it's music instead. When does that really seriously start to uh, to
1: happen? Yo, it probably started like in. 12th grade, before I went off to university, you know, the seeds of doubt, the little whatever mental crises started happening. Mm. And I just kept picturing myself as like an older, the older version of me, you know, like, (laughs) what am I, you know, am I going to enjoy what I'm doing? You know, I just kept picturing that that picture wouldn't leave my head. Right. And that happened the whole undergrad literally the whole undergrad. That picture was cemented into my mind. Of
0: looking you're picturing yourself that's uh whether it's in an office or in a doctor's coat and feeling like it wasn't it wasn't authentic or, or what?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, like what well, what would I be happy doing? You know, I felt like my life was being decided for me. Mm. You know? But at the same time, I understood where my parents were coming from. I understood where my culture was coming from. Because it's not just my parents. It's just the culture in general, right? We, the I'm talking about the African-Nigerian immigrant yeah. diasporic culture. You know, yeah. it's like you, we brought you here for a reason. We didn't bring you here to be singing on songs, you yeah.
0: know. So you're making music and you're having these questions. When does it go from, you know, thinking that you'd you'd like to do this to actually having some sort of confidence, let's say, or some sort of indication that it might actually be possible?
1: Right. Um. That was like a series of events before I reached that point. You know, this whole time I'm doing my education thing, but I'm still putting out music online, um, putting it on Datpiff. You know, YouTube audio Mac, whatever. I'm putting out mixtapes. I put out a lot of mixtapes, like 10 mixtapes, probably. Yeah. Um, And I was just getting all this validation, this external validation from people all over, you know, like a one-off kid from on the internet. Be like, yo, you know, you're actually really good. Like, I love this. So right. all that started planting these seeds and, in my mind that this is actually possible you know there's people that actually like this stuff and yeah and also you know seeing a lot of my contemporaries at the time who took music more seriously and took it full time seeing them achieve certain levels of success i was like man this isn't so far off from me
0: yeah you know, I, yeah
1: i should keep doing this okay so,
0: yeah yeah. What, who were your contemporaries at the time? Who were the ones that you were coming up around and seeing them get some wins and feeling encouraged by?
1: Um, and at the time in Brampton, it was uh, D. Pride. Yeah, His rapper named D. Pride. He goes by Russell now. Um, Tory Lanes. Yeah, he was from my ends as well. Um, well Party next door. Yeah, you know, he, we went to high school together. He was he was coming up he was already always kind of big but he was coming up as well um yeah those are the only 3 i could think yeah. of
0: so there was a precedent there of some sort that you felt like uh there was a path there was you know some kind of uh step by step process even though it's not always that clear but there was a, at least a some sort of a road map you could picture to where you could get to that stage as well
1: exactly and drake had just bust the doors wide open at that time too if you recall yeah yeah, you know he just he literally opened that border up
0: (laughs) (laughs) let's fast forward a little bit january of this year this is after a lot of time put in the works i mean we've already talked about you know you putting in work six years ago and longer Uh, but january of this year both jamie fox and snoop Dogg are mentioning your music on twitter the game yeah. is asking to fly you out to work on music i mean that's a long way from uh recording on uh, at a sony Ericsson or or being in uh you know at King and university in laurier absolutely tell me about some of the surrealness of uh of this past year for you
1: yeah wow it's twenty nineteen um I think the last four year, the last four months has been. A period of exponential growth it's something that like you said has taken a lot of time you know it wasn't it's not overnight it's years in the process a lot of it was was validating that i'm on the right path that i'm doing what i have to do and i think it really reminded me that all those mixtapes that i was doing all those writings all those songs that i made for 20 people to hear it wasn't mm. in vain mm. you know it was it was a setup for bigger and better things mm. and it's not something that's going to halt anytime soon it's something that if you if i keep watering this plant this seed will turn into you know a douglas fir but <laughs> You just got to, I got to see it through. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. That part, I think uh, I resonate with a lot. And I think it, it it's uh, so true to anyone in, in a creative field because I think there's one tendency, right? You, you put out this body of work and you have a body of work that dates back, you know, years and years. And there can be one tendency to be embarrassed by some of the old stuff like, oh, it's so juvenile or I just wasn't nearly as skilled as I am now. Uh, it's so different. Right. Right. And it can feel like, well, was that a was that a waste of time uh, or you're putting mm-hmm. in work? And as like you said, you're getting heard by maybe 20 people, 30 people. Uh, but realizing that that's all part of a, a step, an extra step along the way that's going to get you to where you're at. I think that that helps so much to put that other part in perspective to be able Absolute. to appreciate that part. When did it feel to you, if it has felt to you, I don't know if it does feel this way yet. When did it feel like I've arrived? Like uh, like there is that sort of uh, validation, like I, I belong here and I've made it and everything that I've been working towards is now happening. Man, that
1: was probably yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I was in my room and, you know... <sighs> You know, like if you're when you, when you go through puberty, like, and someone hasn't seen you in six months, and they're like, "Whoa, you got way taller," but mm. you just have no concept of it. You're like, "Oh, really?" You know, you you that frame of reference isn't really there for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I felt. Um, throughout this kind of process, you know, until I really took the time yesterday to to sit down. After the, the album has been out, I have some time to myself to reflect. And I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm where I've wanted to be for so long. So it's time to actualize this goal and this mission that I've had for so long.
0: So the game reached out to you earlier this year about coming to to LA to work on music. Has that happened yet? And And how did that go if so?
1: Oh, yeah, that already happened. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It was surreal. Um, But it it was also like the first day that I was in there, I was like, it it felt like a dream. It felt like it didn't happen. But Mm -hmm. he was such a down to earth, real individual that, you know, all those all those ideas of superstardom they were it was demystified, you know. Right. Because he was somebody who truly connects with the people in front of him. You know, I I like to I like to be very present with whoever I'm with and he was like that too. So everybody in the room knew that they were there because they deserved to be there. Every every writer, producer, whatever and i felt that mm. on that first day so so yeah we we um we created a lot of songs yeah i made a lot of songs while i was there
0: what did you get the most out of that experience what what was the biggest takeaway for you
1: um i learned to push myself continually outside of my comfort zone um and i learned that i'm really really good at at what i do it was a, it was a testing point can I for can I hang in this in this new environment and and I hung I hung just fine you know mm-hmm. um it was a it was for me a stamp in my head that I'm I'm here to do this I've put in I put in the time so I just got to keep going
0: Your debut album still came out earlier this month how did this album come together for you from uh, conception until now
1: uh, this album is the culmination of my life story and events up until the point where I started making it from when I left Nigeria. Mm. So I've been writing a lot of these songs for for so long. You know, the, the the songs on the album are all different ages, but they're all a part of my story. So... In 2017, when I legitimately started writing for this album, it almost felt like I had all these stories and ideas in my head that I had no choice but to get out. Hmm. I had no choice but to release it in order for me to feel satisfied in my first real body of work.
2: Hmm.
0: First, So does it feel like a debut for you? I mean, you've put out so many projects before, but does does this one feel different in some respects, and how? Yes,
1: it does. Because it's the realest, most authentic showing that I've displayed artistically thus far. And I think that's a result of the experiences that I've had, my personal development work that I do, and just growing as a person. I don't think I'd, I would have been able to put out this project if if there wasn't legitimate growth involved.
0: Mm, mm.
1: So that's why it feels like the first.
0: I think growth is a good word for a lot of what uh, this album makes me think about. It was the line, I call this post-traumatic growth, because I think that's a big... First, for me, that's a big part of what I've been interested in, in trying to parse through over this last year and more is, you know, how much can we choose how... The events of our lives define us. How much can we choose how to respond to the things that can hurt us to turn it into a positive? Absolutely. When did you pick up on all of that? Uh, This idea of post-traumatic growth, uh, what does it mean to you?
1: Um, I first heard that term on a podcast. And the the, the way the guest speaker described it, it was the exact feeling that i had the exact same feeling uh what you just described you know Mm -hmm. an incident occurring to an individual and how they respond to it and how it affects their trajectory you know when i was a teenager i lived with anxiety and different mental health issues it was a big part of my teenage years And I had no concept or understanding of what was really going on. I couldn't even contextualize it because I didn't know the language. I didn't know what it was. So part of that was going through counseling, therapy, getting some work, and understanding what was going on. And a lot of that was self-directed until I found somebody who was able to guide me through it. So, mm. if I had never, if I hadn't gone through those sessions, if I hadn't done all that, I don't know if I would have been able to, not only create this project, but have the quality of life that I have right now. I don't, mm. I really don't think so. So, i I thought it was, um, I thought it was special, for the project to start with that line because it's the catalyst for everything that comes afterwards.
0: I mean, growth as well, if you want to talk about uh, without having had that experience and having gone through counseling and being able to sort through things. Think about, you know, what would have happened if you had blown up six years ago, eight or ten years ago instead of now. Yeah. How that might have been different. Yeah. What do you think the difference would have been between now and then if the uh, the spotlight would have shone that much sooner?
1: Um, well, knowing the content that I was creating at the time and my lack of <clears throat> self-awareness and understanding, I don't think it would have gone too well. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I really don't think so. But, mm. you know, anything is possible. You know, I can't. That's the alternate reality, but... Um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I really, I really don't know what would have happened. I don't think it would have been good. I don't think it would have been mm-hmm. good,
0: man. I hear that from time to time with artists that it, uh, it is a matter of timing, you know. And and uh, maybe, maybe it'll be, it'll be nice to have things happen sooner <laughs> at times. Yeah. But it doesn't always mean that you're ready for it. Exactly. You know, you've worked in mental health before, both, both on a crisis line and then one on one with people as well. Uh what have you what have you gotten from that experience? How has that in, influenced you as a person and, and as a songwriter if it has?
1: Man, the crisis line changed my life. Um working on the crisis line, I I got to speak with people from all different creeds, backgrounds, social locations. And they were anonymous. They were anonymous and they were telling me their innermost, you know, Um, they were confiding in a stranger. Um, But the stranger to them was just somebody who was actively listening. And I learned a lot during that process. I learned that everybody has their own worlds and paths that they need to traverse and one of the sayings one of the maxims on our wall was um was by plato be kind cuz everybody's fighting a fighting a hard battle i think that really stuck mm. with me um i had mm. heard of the concept before <laughs> of being kind but um it didn't truly resonate with me until i got to hear these people's stories people who didn't know me and probably never will um and see it in real time. It really changed how I look at people on the street now or just mm. people in general.
0: Do you subscribe to I mean you might be familiar with the the wounded healer theory but this idea that uh you know somebody you go through something and that and that makes you more inclined to want to to then help others as well. Uh do you think there's any anything to that?
1: I think there's truth to that. Um I think there's truth to that, but I think there also needs to be some sort of intercept because you could find people who've been wounded who instead wound others, right? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I can can see both sides to that.
0: Mm. Speaking of music and of songwriting, what role... Or responsibility, if any, does a songwriter have? I mean, it, it's it's clear to me, at least, what kind of person you are, what person you become. But um, but do you feel some sort of a responsibility with with songwriting, or can songwriting just be whatever you know, whatever uh, you're feeling at that time?
1: Well, I used to think that it was just you're a songwriter, you just write, you know, you just you just write songs. I think um I I watched it, I watched Nina Simone documentary and that just you know she transformed the way I looked at songwriting. Uh she said a songwriter's duty and I'm and I'm paraphrasing here. A songwriter's mm-hmm. duty is to reflect the times that they're in. Mm-hmm. And, and that hit me and it's stuck with me ever since. So that's mm-hmm. how I feel.
0: What has kept you going when the path hasn't always been clear? You know, it, it's nice to have some reassurance occasionally that, you know, when people do reach out and let you know that they're appreciating your music. It's nice when Snoop Dogg sends a tweet your way. Uh, it's it's nice to have some sort of, some wins along the way and to, to, to get to recognition, you know, to have a billboard at Young and Dundas. Uh, but when the path hasn't always been that clear, when there's been doubt, What's been the force that's kept you going?
1: Um, the force, when uh, the external things aren't happening, needs to be internal. And I, that's words like, you would hear faith, hope, faith in oneself, faith in my abilities, faith in my mission, faith and trust in my team, the people around me, my support system. You know, that's those are those are those are those are the heroes, the champions, mm. the people who saw something in you before the rest of the world did or even before you did. They, Those are those are the things that keep us going as creatives or people who take the unconventional path.
0: Toby, I just want to wrap things up with one more question, actually a quote uh, to get you to expand on this. Hmm. Uh, but the words You're never really out until you count yourself out if you could tell me about that,
1: jeez, wow, you're never really out until you count yourself out yep that's a that's an adage that i um I started saying to myself when I was in during my undergrad um you know basically that was me telling myself that you know my biggest My biggest hindrance in whatever I did was myself, (laughs) you know? Um, Mm. So as long as I had faith in myself, I had belief in myself and what I'm capable of, I always have a fighting chance. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's from a song. (laughs) (laughs) This guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from a song that I I wrote like six years ago. Wow. Yeah. I stick to to that. that. I stick to that
0: still has uh, value today. Absolutely.
1: still holds weight today. Absolutely. Yeah. This guy.
0: <laughs> Toby, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, Martin, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me, man.
0: That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you want to know more about Toby, his album Still is out now. You can find it just about anywhere people get their music online these days. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor, hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and most of all, tell someone else you think might like it. If you want to get in touch, a few ways you can, you can send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast. You can also find me on Twitter at martin underscore Bauman. The music for Story Untold is by Dr. Turtle, off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was a Story Untold. See you next time.